I'm so thankful for uh, each one of you that are here and also those that are watching on TV or your laptops. And um, I'm just so amazed at uh, modern technology, the fact that even though we're not able to gather together physically, we, we are always together spiritually, but now we can at least have communication with one another. It was wonderful <clears throat> yesterday, and uh, I was able to, through the miracle of Zoom, have a reunion with my oldest brothers uh, and his family, his wife and his children, and it was just amazing. I mean, one was in Germany, and one was in Virginia, one was in Florida, and some in Waterloo, and some in Corning, some in Elmira, and we were all able to come together, and it was just so encouraging. So I know they're watching this morning, so I just wanted to say hi to my family. Well, my extended family, my children and grandchildren are right here, so I'm thankful. Um, you know, one of the things I really want to thank all of you for is your faithfulness and the way you have been continuing to give your tithes and offerings to the church. It's really been a blessing to Pastor Frank Jr. and I. But we really, really miss you guys. And so one of the things that we talked about is that when we're finally able to come back together as a church, that Sunday we have to have a picnic after church, a big picnic and uh, just had a chance to be together and fellowship once again. And also uh, encourage you to check out the Women's Bible Study on Tuesday. And you can go to our website and uh, just hit the COVID picture, COVID-19 picture, and move down, and there's a place, a blue bar. You just click to go right into the meeting. And the same thing for our Wednesday Bible Study. So if you would do that, it would be awesome. Okay, now let's move on. And we're going to be starting with Numbers 16, Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your word, because not only is your word true, but your word is the best guide we have for life in this world, and especially the times in which we're living. And so I pray as we break open this portion of Scripture that it would speak to our hearts, that it would encourage our souls, and just give us the direction that we need and the focus that we must have. And so, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to just fall upon each one who's listening to the teaching this morning. And, Lord, that you would anoint and use me to minister not my words but your truth to this fellowship. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know... I was thinking this week as I was working on my message, I think the difference between those who desire to follow the Word of God and those that don't, it really is because of a basic worldview. Because either you have a worldview that really is contrary to the laws of thermodynamics, and that's saying that there was absolutely nothing that became something and evolved into all this. So you go from chaos to order, which is the opposite of thermodynamics. Or you have the view that there was someone who always was, and he created everything as it is. And I think it's pretty logical uh, what you would accept. And so many people think, well, you know, creation is just such an unscientific theory. It's not true. Dig into it yourself. And as a matter of fact, if you go into the Creation Institute, and for instance, uh, Dr. Samuel Morris, 
PhD, college professor, and he came through his studies of science to understand that evolution was impossible. I mean, we have adaptation and we have, you know, um, those kinds of things that people are saying that's evolutionary. No, it's not. It's, it's adaptation. And what we need to look at is the fact that there's only one way that man could be created, so distinct from every, every other animal, and plants distinct from other plants, and birds from other birds, and so forth, and that is because we have a creator God. And the reason it's important for us to understand this worldview is you have some Christians that will actually call themselves, they say, well, we're evolutionary Christians. Well, you can't evolve into being a Christian. <laughs> Either you are or you aren't. And if you are a Christian, which means Christos, Christ one, belonging to Christ, <clears throat> then you have to believe his word. Jesus Christ quoted Genesis and the fact that God created everything that there is. And so as believers, we need to follow what the word of God says, and it is the only logical and scientific way, really, to look at anything. So in this portion, we're going to be looking at something that it reminds us, at least it reminds me, of what's going to happen during the tribulation. Now understand this as a word of encouragement. Those of you who have committed your life to Jesus Christ and you have been born again, you will not be here through any part of the tribulation. He has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation, is what the Lord said. And so the rapture, taken from the Latin word raptos, to snatch out or to grab, we're going to be taken out of this earth to meet the Lord in the air, and then go with him to heaven, and then at that time, his wrath at that moment or at that time will be poured out on the earth. But we'll be gone. I wanted to make that clear before I share this. But the fact is, um, there are so many people who are thinking, what's happening on the earth? Oh, this is God's wrath being poured out. That's why it's all happening. No, it's not. What we're seeing happening on the earth today is due to fallen man. Fallen man has never been content. He always has to be moving forward and trying to find this new discovery and that new discovery. Many of them are useful. Many of them are helpful and pleasant. But many of man's discoveries are they're just dangerous and they're absolutely destructive. So, but what happens is even when we have these kinds of things, these negative things going on in the world, rather than just confessing and repenting and crying out to God, people want to blame God. But understand, it's not the Lord. <clears throat> Listen to what it says here. In Revelation 6, 16, Revelation 16, if you take notes, and verses 10 through 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Wow. In other words, they knew what was happening was from God. They didn't doubt that. And they knew that if they would have repented, God would have relented and given them the, the peace that they were looking for. But they refused. And what we're going to find as we get into this portion of Numbers, it's the same thing. God's wrath is being poured out 
They know it's God, and rather than to repent and turn to him, they continue to blaspheme his name, which brings destruction upon them. To me, it's so amazing how it seems that people never learn their lesson. You know, grumbling against God can have very severe consequences. And we find this is why intercessory prayer is so important. We need to intercess in prayer for others rather than just complaining about this or that or why they're not doing this or that. We need to be intercessory in our prayers. Because remember, murmuring and grumbling is contagious and it brings others down, sometimes even to the point of rebelling against God. I think we also have to ask ourselves the same question. Do we grumble over everything or do we trust God? You can't have both. Either you trust God or you don't trust God. You know, in Romans uh, 14.8, you know, one of the things I just want to mention here too, understand that when we start grumbling, it's a lack of faith. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm saying as believers, <clears throat> when we start grumbling, it's a lack of faith. Oh, why is this happening? I don't... If we trust God and believe God, everything he does is for our benefit, right? Everything. If we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he does everything for our benefit. Even when we're going through difficult times, I can think of many times in my walk with the Lord that I've gone through difficult times and the Lord used it to strengthen me and draw me closer to him. In fact, one, we're, we're going to look at this in a moment, but probably one of the greatest fears most people have is death. But we'll find if we really believe, if we really trust in the Lord, death is no longer something frightening to us. As a matter of fact, it tells us it's better because we're going to be with the Lord. Now, in Romans 14, 8, listen to what it says. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. If something happened and we died, we're still the Lord's. We're his. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you see what's being said there? For me to live, I live to serve Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Now I'm resting from all my labors, and I'm going to receive the reward of heaven. And one of the things we were talking about just before church started this morning, we were talking about some of those who we love very much, and uh, they have gone to be with the Lord. And we can't look at it as if they're dead. They're not dead. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live and he that lives and believes in me never dies. And so one day, because they're still alive, we're going to be caught up together with them, meet them in the air, and be together with the Lord forevermore. Wow, what could be more exciting than that? Now, we're going to find in this portion of Scripture that Moses and Aaron intercede for the people, and taking a censer, putting coals on it from 
the altar and then putting incense on it, that represents prayer. If you go back in, 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 Gen- in Exodus, you'll find that that was used as a representation for prayer. We also know that the incense is the prayers of the saints, it tells us in the New Testament. And so they interceded for the people with prayer. You can't intercede for the people with swords and, and, and guns and things like that when you're talking about God's wrath. The only intercession there really can be is that of prayer. And you know the thing is, the only thing that stands between anyone and judgment is prayer. Even for you and I as believers, if you're not saved, the only thing that stands between you and judgment as far as going to hell rather than to heaven is prayer. The prayer of committing your life to Jesus Christ, of asking his forgiveness for sin, of asking him to come in and take over. Now you have eternal life. But even we as believers, sometimes we are experiencing or feeling the consequences of our wrong behavior, and the only thing that stands between us and that discipline is prayer. Because the most wonderful verse of Scripture, which all of you know because I have quoted it at least 14,000 million zillion times, that's an exaggeration, of course, but I've repeated, is if. Now, that's a conditional conjunction. It's a requirement. In other words, it's, it's not automatic. It's a requirement. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Consider all that that's saying. If we're willing to say, Lord, what I've been doing is wrong, forgive me, Jesus. He not only forgives us, but he purifies us from all unrighteousness. It's like it never happened. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Okay. We are in Numbers 16, starting with verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Number one, it wasn't Moses and Aaron. It was God's wrath that was being poured out on the people. As a matter of fact, Moses and Aaron interceded for the people. But they, <clears throat> they complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Well, if they were of the Lord, they wouldn't have been killed, number one. And Moses and Aaron didn't do it. Verse 42, now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned towards the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly a cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And if I would have been those people, I would have been saying, oh my. Verse 43. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and he made atonement for the people. Listen to this. And he stood between the dead and the living. That's beautiful. We'll talk about that later. He stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the Korah incident. 
I like the way they say the Korah incident. That was more than an incident. Verse 50. So Aaron returned to Moses, the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Now, consider the fact, prior to this, Pastor Frank Jr. in the last service covered this, the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all of those who were rebelling against God because of their unbelief. And right after that, these people are going to turn around and do the exact same thing and complain against God. To me, that's so amazing. Now, we also have to understand that um, it wasn't just grumbling that the people were doing. They were denying and defying the Lord. And why do I say that? Because God had given commandments. And all they needed to do was obey, and to obey it with a positive and a joyful heart. Because all of his commandments are right and true, right? And it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Things don't always go right or the way we would like them to go. But brothers and sisters, it's always to the joy of the Lord that we go through those things, praising him and thanking him. Doesn't mean we're always happy. Doesn't mean we always feel good. But here's the joy of the Lord. I'm his, and nothing can take that from me. If I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. If I live, I'm going to serve the Lord. If I'm handicapped, I'll serve him with my handicap. I'm the Lord's. And so that's the thing that we have to remember as we look at this. Now, we all have, I think, those times that we question and wonder why God is doing something. Why is this happening? And the thing we have to understand is the fact that a lot of things are happening in this world not because God is doing something, it's because of man himself. You have to understand that in the garden, when Adam and Eve chose to obey Satan rather than God, the dominion of this world was given over to Satan. He is now called in Scripture the prince of this world, the prince and power of the air. Now, the wonderful thing is, you and I, as believers, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, Satan no longer has dominion over us, but he has dominion over this world. And so things in this world, we say, oh, how can God let that happen? God's not letting that happen. This is just a natural result of man rebelling against him. You know, so many people have asked me about this, you know, COVID-19. And uh, say, oh, is this, a, is this discipline from God? Is this God's wrath? No, it's not. This is just a result of man's stupidity and man's rebellion against God. Now, when God's wrath comes, we're going to be gone. And when God's wrath comes, it's not going to be self-isolation. Read the book of Revelation. I mean, we find out right from the beginning, right after the church is taken and God's wrath is poured out on this earth, it's devastating, but we'll be gone. In fact, if you want to read a really good book, you want to get the book, the book of Revelation made plain and clear. It's a great book. You can get it on our website or Amazon. No, but the point is that in the book, I make it very, very clear that we're gone. You know, so many people have that misconception. Oh, during the first half of the tribulation, everything's going great, and Antichrist seems to be doing a good job. And then it's only during the second half that everything falls apart. Wrong. 
from the very beginning after the wrath, the very moment that God's wrath is starting to be poured out in this world, the very first moment of the seven years of tribulation, it's horrible. And it never gets better. It gets worse and worse. Understand that. And that's the reason it's so important for you and I to have that assurance whom we belong to. Now, it does help us, of course, to understand uh, how easily Satan can take over this world. You know, we think, well, how could Satan ever take over the world? Like when the tribulation began, how can that happen? Look at how easily it's happening right now with fear, right? I mean, think about this. A person cannot come to church. It's illegal right now, but they can go to the abortion clinic. I can go to the grocery store where my darling granddaughter works, and I can go to the grocery store and be around all kinds of people as long as I have a mask on, and I can't go to the hospital and visit a parishioner. The fear in this world is bam like that. And so for me to understand how the Antichrist and how this world system is going to be after the church is removed, it doesn't surprise me at all. Look at how quickly we lose our freedoms and we're willing to accept it. Now understand this. You know, like that old political saying, having said that. Um, but having said that, the point is, we are committed by Scripture to be obedient to the governing, uh, governing authorities as long as it doesn't take away from our ability to serve the Lord. And one of the amazing things is, Frank and I were looking at um, this gauge I have on my webpage that talks about the number of people that are watching our messages. And last week we had 1,100 people that were watching our teaching, and our church holds 150. So, <laughs> But you know, after this is all over with, we'll make room. So anyway, as far as um, conspiracy theories and speculations, those can be very interesting. They can be fun. But I give you a little warning, brothers and sisters. You can go from the the, the fun of looking into conspiracy theories to turning from the word of God. Because the fact and the reality is that God has made it clear before many of these conspiracies that are being prompted and promoted on television and everywhere else cannot occur until the church is gone. And we're still here. And so, and, and the thing is, what difference does it make? Well, you know, I think this, and I think this is the reason for that. I think this is the reason for that. You know what? This world is full of intrigue and mystery and all kinds of, you know, espionage and everything else, and it's going to continue. But it has nothing to do with you and I. We belong to Jesus. And so, therefore, I refuse to become fearful or paranoid about this because of this epidemic. You know why? Because I belong to God. Why would this epidemic cause fear to come into my heart? I belong to God. And you want to know something? This is amazing. And God knows where I am. And he knows where every one of you are. So what in the world do we have to fear? Because I fully believe that we need to trust in the Lord. And this is an opportunity for us to practice our trust in the Lord. I mean, are we going home at night? Well, 
<laughs> you haven't gone home. You're, you are home. Have you, you know, sit down in the evening and you open up your Bible and, and uh, maybe sing some hymns to the Lord and, and something Vi and I love to do, and I'll just encourage you. It's called, um, what's it called again? J? MJ. It's Messianic Jewish Alliance, MJA. And they're, they're, uh, it's a Jewish Christian group, Israeli Christian group, right in Israel. And they sing the most beautiful songs to the Lord. They're all born-again Christians, and they sing the most beautiful songs to the Lord in Hebrew. And so they're singing in Hebrew, and it gives the, the actual Hebrew, then it gives the phonetic pronunciation of the Hebrew, and then it gives the English underneath it. And it's just awesome. My point is, we need to use this time praising the Lord, seeking his face, looking into his word, rather than spending 10 hours with her eyes bleeding in front of TV watching all these news broadcasts and they're saying the same thing over and over and over again. Well, did you know this one did that? And you know this? Well, I'm sure. I'm sure all that's going on. But I'm also sure that God is still on the throne. And when he's ready to handle the situation, he'll handle it. You know, um, have you ever wondered, when we look at, at this uh, account in Numbers, have you ever wondered wondered what those people were thinking when the glory of the Lord appeared. I mean, here they saw what happened with Korah and his family. Then all of a sudden, a cloud appears over the tabernacle of meetings, and the glory of the Lord appears. What were they thinking? Well, I'm going to stand my ground. You know, when they saw the glory of the Lord, they should have been saying, Hallelujah, praise God, your will be done, whatever, Lord. They saw the glory of the Lord, and it didn't do anything. Their hearts were hardened. And they still rebelled against the Lord. Now, I think every one of us, in some way, in some time, we've seen the glory of the Lord appear in our lives, haven't we? And uh, he appears many times in different ways, but he's still the same person. And the reason I say that is because sometimes people say, well, I saw the glory of the Lord, and it was in the form of, of Krishna, or is in the form of Vishu, or whatever. No, 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 no. He does not divide himself. The glory of Yahweh, the glory of the Lord, is the glory of the Lord, period. He doesn't come in different forms, in different ways. Well, we all worship the same God through different deities. What? That doesn't even make sense. There's one God and one creator, and that's Jehovah. And we have to understand that. Now, He does appear sometimes in different ways to, to us, to many of us, in order to show and demonstrate his glory. For some of us, it might have been, you know, walking through the woods. For some of us, it might have been a dream. For some of us, it might be working around our house or at work or driving down the road. Or sometimes when you have just decisions to make, you don't know what to do, and the glory of the Lord appears. You know, uh, I know Vi hates me to use examples, but Vi was sharing with me, um, we were talking, we had a great talk last night, and we were talking about, uh, we were brand new Christians, we were living in Puerto Rico, and I was a principal of a high school there, and I came down with dengue fever. And uh, what the doctors told me is I had to leave the tropics or die. And we were new Christians, and Vi was saying she was sitting at the, at the table in our kitchen, I was at work with a fever for three weeks, and um, she, in her heart, she was thinking, I'm going to go home with two children as a widow. 
I'm going to go home to, to the States with two children, and I'm going to be a widow. And she really was thinking, I don't know about this Christian thing. But then the Lord gave her a vision of when he appeared to her and when she committed her life to Jesus Christ. And then she had faith. And then she turned away from all those doubts. That was one instance when the glory of the Lord appeared to her. And I'm not going to get into a bunch of examples. The glory of the Lord appeared to me in a tree stand, deer hunting. In fact, the only thing I ever saw in a tree stand, deer, deer hunting, was the glory of the Lord. <laughs> Never saw a deer. And, uh, but he did. He appeared to me, and that's when he called me into the ministry. And so we know that the glory of the Lord can appear to us in different ways. But all we have to do is trust him. In uh, Isaiah 42, 8, it says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. In Psalm 148, verse 13, it says, For his name alone is exalted. His glory is above all the earth and heaven. So he alone is God. We are not. He created the heavens and the earth and we can't even create a good thought. You know what I mean? He's God. And so we have to understand that God's anger is never aroused because he hates us, but rather because he loves us. For instance, if you had a parent that was angry with their child simply because they hated them, that person is sick and has a problem. But most often when parents become angry with their children, it's because we love them and we fear for their safety. We want what's best for them. And so we have to realize that that's the way it is with our creator, God. God's anger is never aroused because he hates us, but because he loves us. And, um, you know, one of the things we have to realize is God... Think about what God did for the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He divided the Red Sea for them to cross over, brought them into the wilderness, crossing over uh, the Red Sea, going from slavery into freedom is analogous to our salvation. And then we're going to find later on, they crossed over the Jordan, it's going into his sanctification, being committed to the Lord. But anyway, he brought them into the wilderness fed them supernaturally with manna from heaven, brought water out of the rock. I mean, he did everything. He brought quail when they complained and wanted meat. He did everything for them. And yet, they would complain. You know, it's so easy for us to say, oh, Lord, if I just had this. And when we, when we get that, it's like, well, this is great, Lord, but if I just had that. You know what I mean? We always want something else. And so these children of Israel, God had demonstrated himself to them in so many ways and so many times and so beautifully. And yet, the minute things didn't go their way, they grumbled. And uh, Pastor Frank uh, Jr., you want to make sure you listen to his message. If you haven't, he had the first service. And he really brings out, you know, the whole fact that... Um, the way the people were behaving. What was it you said again? I lost my track. Train of thought. The, the part I'm thinking of. <laughs> no, um, 
Yeah, no, that isn't it. But uh, anyway, sorry, sorry, all you guys. Um, uh, it'll come to me maybe. Um, so we have to realize, like it tells us in Isaiah 42 uh, and uh, verse 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. He hangs on to his own glory. And in, verse, in Psalm 148, verse 13, for his name alone is exalted, his glory is above the earth and heavens. So he alone is God, we are not God, and I think we all understand that. And so we have to realize that we can't even do anything to save ourselves or to save others. It's always the Lord. We just have to call out to him. Now, once again, we see that Moses has to break out an intercessory prayer because these people became so rebellious. And we have to realize that the only reason anyone becomes rebellious against the Lord is because they don't trust him. There are some people you probably don't trust. There's some people maybe it's good not to trust, like politicians. But anyway, yes. but we can trust the Lord always. Always we can trust the Lord. His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, right? And so he is one that we can trust completely. You know, one of the things I, I thought about, because you had this intercessory moment with Moses and Aaron again. This is the second time they've done it in a very short period of time. And they ran out between the people with the, um, you know, the, the censer, with the incense in it, burning you know, coals from the fire and the incense burning up, representing prayers to God. And so they ran, and they stood between the people and the plague to intercede for those that they loved. And I think sometimes if we spent more time interceding for those that we love rather than complaining about them, like these people were doing, do we have a tendency to do that sometimes? We complain about those that we love rather than interceding for them in prayer? Well, if you want to be more godlike, that is what we should do. Just as they stood the gap, we need to be willing to stand the gap. In uh, Romans 5.10 it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through death, death of his son it says much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life so you and I can go from death to life and it's all because of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ and also in, in 2 Corinthians 5 18 through 19 you can look this up when you get a chance it says God has given you and I the ministry of reconciliation and so we have been commissioned by God to stand the gap between life and death. I mean, really think about that commission he's given us. We can stand the gap between life and death. People who aren't saved are facing eternal judgment. People who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ have eternal reward. One is hell, one is heaven. And sometimes people say, you shouldn't talk about hell. Well, I'll tell you who talked about hell more than anyone else in Scripture. Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ didn't talk about hell because he's angry with people. I hope you all go to hell because you're not listening to me. Jesus talked about hell as a warning, 
No different than a parent would say, don't go too close to the edge. This is a, a huge cliff. Don't go. You're not mad at the child. You're giving the child warning because you love them and you want them to stay, stay safe. Jesus is warning about hell because he wants us to go to heaven. He's never like, oh, good, lost another one. Jesus wants all. He rejoices in every single saint that comes to the Lord. Remember the parable of the sheep? And it says the shepherd had uh, 100 sheep, and one left and went off and had fallen down over a ledge, caught in you know, the briars or whatever it was. And the shepherd left in 99 to go after that one. And when he found him, he brought him up, and he carried him back. And everyone rejoiced. Jesus will leave not literally, but the 99, and that's our understanding. We need to be willing to go out in the highways and byways and to bring those in to the loving knowledge of Jesus Christ that they'll also rejoice in heaven with us. Now, um, when we think of jealousy, because it talks about God being a jealous God, most often when we think of jealousy, we think of it only in a negative term. And do you know that jealousy is not always negative? For instance, a husband or or a wife, a person is jealous of their spouse because they love them and they don't want that special relationship that they have to be destroyed or interfered with. God is jealous for us because he doesn't want that special relationship between he and us to be interfered with. You understand what I'm saying? Let me share with you from Luke chapter uh, uh, 10 and verses 25 through 27. Actually, I'm going to go back. That's not the verse I was thinking of. I want to share with you from Exodus, Exodus 34, 14. Exodus 34, 14. Now, some of you might recognize this because it's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And this is Exodus 34:14. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, listen, whose name is jealous is a jealous god. Now so often people in our day and in our society, we mistake jealousy with the kind of jealousy that's mentioned here in scripture because we combine jealousy with anger. God's jealousy is totally based on love. He's, he loves us. He loves that relationship we have with him. And so therefore, he wants us to confess and to repent that we might come back into that special relationship with him. And um, in Luke 10, 25 through 27, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? And what, what is your reading of it? So he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. And so we have to understand as believers, we need to love first off the Lord our God. And our love for God causes us to stand the gap between life and death. 
That's why we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we love our neighbor as we do ourselves. You know, no one ever, you know, unless you're really strange, I mean, no one ever goes out and says, you know what, I think I'm going to go and hurt myself, or I think I'm going to go and walk in front of a car. We love ourselves. We care about our needs. But the fact is, we need to love others the same. And anyone who does not have Christ does not have life. Anyone who has Jesus Christ has life. And so we need to have that jealousy for the Lord or of the Lord for others, that they might be part of the family. They might be one with him. And the thing is, you know, brothers and sisters, those of you who are watching, those of you maybe who aren't even saved, understand salvation is not a difficult thing. So many people think, <coughs> excuse me, I can't get saved unless I go to a big crusade and I walk forward in front of thousands of people when certain songs are being played. And that's wonderful. Many people are saved that way. But salvation is not difficult. It's not complicated. It's simply saying, God, forgive me a sinner. And he will. Lord, come in. Take over my life. And he will. And by your Holy Spirit, guide my steps. And he will. That's it. Well, don't I have to take confirmation classes? Don't I have to take new believers classes? Don't I have to do this? Don't I have to do that? Nope. All you have to do is believe. I always think, you know, we just had um, Easter last week, and of course it reminds us of the resurrection, but going back to the crucifixion, remember the one thief on the cross? There were two thieves uh, that were crucified next to Jesus. And one thief started reviling Jesus and saying, you know, you can't say, save us. You can't even save yourself, you know. And the other thief said, hey, I'm putting this in my own words. Don't bother him. We're dying because we're sinners. But he's a just man. He did nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your, to your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That guy on the cross didn't have a chance to be baptized, to be confirmed, to be anointed. All he did was cry out to Jesus. Jesus heard him, received his cry, and that day he would be with him in paradise. So don't wait. There's nothing you have to wait for to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You can do it right now. All you have to do is bow your head and just pray, God, forgive me, a sinner. And he will come in and take over my life, and he will And Lord, give me your Holy Spirit to follow you, and he will. And your life will be changed. Not overnight, but your life will be changed. You'll never be able to go back, and it's a good thing. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this portion of Scripture, and we pray, Lord, that we would not be like the rebellious people that see all of your goodness, and yet we want something more. I pray, Father, that we would just surrender our hearts and lives to you and just allow you to use us in any way possible, whether it be big, whether it be little, whether it be far or whether it be near. Lord, just use us, we pray. And we ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.